from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thank you for spending some of your time with us tonight. What's up, fellas? What up, man? What up, Cody, my guy? What's, what we got today? Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked. In episode 15, the World Series shifts back to D.C., the Bucks handle the Rockets, and we preview week nine in college football. But we begin tonight with Thursday night football and the Minnesota Vikings winning their fourth straight game with a 19-9 win over the hapless Washington Redskins. Despite the seemingly close score, the Vikings did double up the Redskins in total offense, possessed the ball for more than 36 minutes. Kirk Cousins completed 23 of 26 passes and continued his recent stretch of really good play. And that's where we'll start, Drink. Does this four-game stretch have you believing in Kirk Cousins? Man, hold on. Hold up. The Giants. The Eagles. The Lions. The only You know what? I put a little asterisk by the Lions. And the Redskins. Man, please. I believe. Look here. I believe about as much as Kirk Cousins as I believe in catching cancer. And I ain't trying to catch no cancer anytime soon. Look, absolutely not. I, I ain't believing in no Kirk Cousins. He played one solid team out of four. One. No, no. Give me somebody else. No. If you ask me, did Kirk Cousins look good last night? Did he play well? I'll give him credit. He played well. But as far as me thinking of him as a franchise quarterback, Someone that can lead you to the Super Bowl? <laughs> ain't happening, baby. It ain't happening. Look here. Minnesota might well come up. They might well come up with the reality of, man, we waste some money on this guy. This guy, we could have kept Case Keenum for this. They really could have. But what they're getting out of Kirk Cousins, they could have kept Case Keenum. I'm sorry. They could. I'm not seeing the, the tremendous step up from Kirk Cousins, from Case Keenum. I'm not seeing it. I'm just not. So with that, with that said, look, man, I would give him credit. Like I said, he only he only had three incompletions last night. That's pretty darn good. 285 yards. However, he didn't throw a touchdown, but he didn't throw an interception either. So you gotta take the good with the bad, right? Um, but let's be real here. Minnesota had a phenomenal run game between Dalvin Cook and the kid Matson. Um. Both of those guys, they told you to rock very well last night. And I would say when the receivers got a chance to do what they could do, they showed up. Diggs, seven catches for 143. Um, he, he got the one catch in the first possession, then he fumbled it. You know, as fantasy owners probably looked on, they probably was crying because they was happy. They was like, oh, Diggs to the – oh, fumble. So that probably hurt him. But Diggs didn't let that stop him. He came back later in the game, caught another a pass similar to that, and he, he did what he did. So I thought Minnesota played well. But the, the difference in between 
when Minnesota was feuding with with uh, Kirk Cousins, and what we seen last night was the defense came to play last night. I thought, even though it was the hapless, as you put it earlier, the hapless Redskins, they still came to play. They still and and when Case Keem got put out the game, and um, the the young rook came in, can't get his name out. When he came in, uh, it got the game got very fast for him. You could see it in his eyes. I thought yeah. I seen some stars in his eyes. This was very fast. He he found out last night that this ain't no joke. I ain't just gonna come in here just taking over the world. I thought he's Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, Dwayne Haskins. He came in. Very fast. He went three for five, 33 yards, zero touchdown, one in the seven. And you got to think, what can you ask for? He came in as a backup. It wasn't like he was game plan to come in and be a starter and throw the ball all over the field. This is Minnesota, a team with a defense that is very respected in the NFL. So it wasn't like he was out there playing against the Miami Dolphins. Um, he he uh, he looked at very, you know, very rookish, as I should say. He looked like a rook last night. He played like a rook. I'm not going to hold that against him. That's not his fault. We seen the offensive line last night. You could drive a car through that offensive line. That's what it is. We seen it last night. It was disgusting. Trent Williams over there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm loving these street clothes right now. Keep my value up, all right? So, Does he even attend games? Say it again? Does he attend games? Probably not. You know, okay. these guys, if they ain't playing, they ain't showing up to no game. You know what I mean? They can't find them. It's not his fault. Like, I mean, I guess they could find them for holding out, but at the end of the day, yeah, you just mentioned the street clothes. I just have we. I just wanted to know, did we have a sighting of Trent Williams? Oh no, no, I did not have a sighting. But I have to think of, I have to think of this. If the dude ain't at the games and he's asking for a trade, put it like this: Jalen Ramsey was in street clothes when his back was hurting. So I just got to believe if most dudes don't want to be somewhere, they ain't out there and show the pads and the jersey saying. Hey, let's go, boys. Let's I'm with go. You. I'm with you. Let's go. Um, that, but yeah, you're right. That's just an assumption, folks. I don't have no concrete evidence. I did not see a, a camera cut to his face over there on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Um, that's me talking. I didn't see him, so don't don't take me solely to that. But one 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 more thing I want to talk about before before I switch over to Jay and um, that's Delvin Cook, man. This dude has showed up for the Vikings this year. He really has showed up, and reason I want to say that is because this guy have a history of injuries. He had it at Florida State, and he started it when he got when he got drafted by Minnesota. History of injuries. <laughs> so he this year he's been healthy. This year he's been healthy, and the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. He had 171 last night total scrimmage yards, and he's leading the NFL in total scrimmage yards. I just want to say, Kirk Cousins. That's why I don't understand why they're not better, but I'm going to let Jay go ahead and say what he got. Go ahead and tell me something. Tell me something, Jay. Tell me something. No, I don't. No, I don't believe in Kirk Cousins. I never have, to be quite honest with you. And uh, yes, they're on a nice little four-game win streak, but look, we, we mentioned the competition he's been against. The New York Giants, losing record. The Philadelphia Eagles, losing record right now. They look like a complete mess. I don't know what they're doing. The Lions, you mentioned it, probably... They probably look like the best team of the bunch, but they're inconsistent, and we don't know what to expect from them uh, from week to week. And then, of course, the Redskins, and we don't need to say a whole lot about them, to be quite honest with you. Uh, But look, Kirk Cousins, has he played well recently? He absolutely has. But I'm going to lean on the 
amount of film we've seen with him over the last five, six years or whatever it is, we've seen Kirk Cousins on far too many occasions be the guy that puts up numbers. He's going to get his numbers. That's been the, that's been the knock on Kirk Cousins for years now. He's going to get his numbers. He's a mighty good quarterback in fantasy. I give him that. But in terms of wins and losses and showing up when the bright lights are on, and listen, I don't want to I don't want to hear none of this stuff about, oh, hey, last night, Thursday night football. I don't care. It was against the Redskins. There was no – you think there was pressure on Kirk Cousins last night? You think the Redskins applied anything to him that made him sweat at all? No, absolutely not. And to be honest with you, we – I don't get I give very little credit to Kirk Cousins in this respect. You have Dalvin Cook. You mentioned him uh, leading the league in rushing, I believe, at this time. He's been nothing short of fantastic. He's got two bona fide number one receivers. We know Adam Thielen didn't play last night. It didn't matter. Stefan Diggs was roasting Josh Norman all over the place. It was a travesty. That's another subject for another day. And then we, we know about the Vikings defense. The Vikings defense if, is for real. They're legitimate. They can get stops for you. So and why do I bring all this up? Because Kirk Cousins has all the tools to win games. He ain't got no excuse. The, the, the amount of load that he has to carry in comparison to some other quarterbacks, it's just not the same. Kirk Cousins is perfectly set up, propped up on a nice cushy chair to succeed. So it, it, should, it should be very easy for him. It should be easier. And this is one thing I brought up a couple weeks ago. When Thielen and Diggs was giving him the business after the indifferent, uh, indifferent ways, I might add, uh, Diggs via the trade request, Adam Thielen just coming out in the media, it looked like, hey, man, we got to throw the ball. We can't just have Dalvin Cook running into a brick wall every time and expect things to happen. We're playing actual, we played an actual defense today. They came out there, they shut down the run game, speaking of the Chicago Bears, and that's what happened. We got to push the ball down the field. And, and you know what? He's absolutely right. And that's what I'm looking for in the, uh, the past four games, the Eagles have a stout run defense, so they were able to do a good job against Dalvin Cook. But let's be real. We know what the Eagles' problem is. Every corner they have on their roster, seemingly, they if there was a blanket, they couldn't cover a bed. I mean, it, it's a disgrace out there. It is, it's an absolute disgrace. So we, I can only put too much, I can only give Kirk Cousins too much credit for, for that performance. But listen, again, against the Giants, Lions, and Redskins, Dalvin Cook, for the most part, had his way, which is what I was alluding to when I started this diatribe, is Kirk Cousins being able to do things in the play-action game. When you got a running attack like that, we need to see shots down the football field. We have seen that lately. We have seen that lately. But again, based on the level of competition Kirk Cousins has been playing recently, and based on his history of not showing up when the lights are brightest and the competition is fiercest. Remember, the four teams we mentioned, none of them have a winning record right now. So do I believe? No. Hmm. Well, uh, either way, the cut, the Vikings are still 6-2 and two in their division, although that division is a little bit uh, tough right now, tough sledding. Even 6-2 and two doesn't get your first place. Uh, the only thoughts I had on the game overall – was really the biggest thing was uh, Dwayne Haskins and how fast the narrative has changed. You remember back to the draft, the Giants took Daniel Jones. Obviously, the whole world, you know, blew up and said, oh, my gosh, how could you do that? And the sample sizes are small, but uh, in the two appearances that Haskins has had, he's 
not look good. He's averaging a very low QBR, um, about 10. I think if you average it between his 21 and his 0.1 he posted last night. So uh, very, very limited sample size. And we understand all the problems Redskins have, uh, changing coaches, offense is a train wreck. But uh, he did have the few throws he had last night weren't good. He overthrew uh, one of his receivers in a, oh, a bad throw and had a pick there. And it's just amazing how fast, you know, those narratives can change from the draft to. Yeah, I give uh, you, yeah, I give you a little bit on Dwayne Haskins. Listen, I, I, I got to I got to admit to you, I feel bad for Dwayne Haskins. Uh, I think of I think of a guy like uh, Josh Rosen. I think it's a, almost a similar situation uh, that Dwayne Haskins has been thrown into. The Redskins, and we discussed this a couple weeks ago, they're a mess, top to bottom. Owner, president, uh, and GM, Bruce Allen, or whatever alleged roles he also has within that organization. We already know they can Jay Gruden. They got Bill, Bill Callahan running up, in the, uh, up and down the sideline. We know he ain't going to be – we know he's the interim coach. That's a, that's a tag that's going to stick with him because he ain't going to be the next head coach. Um, we, we talked about Trent Williams. Trent Williams is a guy that, who can actually be useful – and would be very instrumental in protecting Dwayne Haskins' blind side. That matters. Uh, but the receiving core, I mean, really Terry McClellan or whatever his name is. I know he's been balling out, doing some things. But Paul Richardson, disappointment. And I'm going to be honest with you, there's a bunch of receivers on that team. I was looking at the box score last night. A bunch of guys who had one catch that I I, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. So, uh Hey, and then again, and then Jordan Reed. We know about Jordan Reed with the concussion history. We don't know if we'll see him again. So listen, it's just a it's just a tough situation for for Dwayne Haskins. Uh, both of his appearances, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, they've been in relief. So that would lead to believe he's not getting regular reps throughout the week as the starter. That may have an impact on what's going on. But Drink, you uh you pointed out something, and Troy Aikman pointed out last night as well, and I, both of you are absolutely correct. The game does look fast for him. It it almost looks like that Dwayne Haskins is a speed limit sign on the interstate, and the defenders or the traffic just whizzing on by. That's almost what it reminded me of. That's that's how out of sorts at times Dwayne Haskins look look. So I don't blame the Redskins necessarily for you know bringing him along slowly, but then again at some point you got to put this guy in as your starting quarterback. You got to give him the reins. Give him the reps. Give him a chance to come out there from the start. Hey, he's a young kid. He's going to make mistakes. We already know he only played. He only started one full season in Ohio State. But let him go out there. Let him play. Let him make mistakes and then learn from those mistakes. Give this guy a chance, even though it's a tough situation because we just alluded to the supporting cast. And by supporting cast, I'm not talking about just the guys on the field around him. I'm also talking about the org- throughout the organization. It's not the best situation. And I want to say what you're saying that the funny thing is this. I thought the disagreement with Haskins when they drafted him was the top, the owner, the GM, the president, whatever, wanted to draft him. And Jay Gruden didn't want to draft him. Yes, sir. Jay Gruden bit out the door for what, about a week or two now? Yep. Yep. So I thought that was Haskins' green light to start being getting started. I mean, I don't Here's the thing. I don't understand why he's not getting the reps now. You're not going anywhere. You're, going, you're not winning. You're going to be a top three pick. Um, Jay Gruden is gone now. That was the guy that didn't want him. He's gone now. I don't understand why he don't get more. Granted, 
he's not going to look good. We know he's not going to look good. We know the product is not going to look good. Washington fans know the product not going to look good. It is what it is at this point. Just like most Dolphin fans know their product is not going to look good. Somebody got to play the dog on position. Let's go, let's roll. Let's play this position. Put them out there. Let let these like you say let these cards keep whizzing past him until he start realize they're coming. And then he can start cuz that's Nick Saban says this about his young defense all the time. It is no replacement for experience. I don't care what you do at practice. I don't care what you teach a player. You can sit there and put this uh, Microsoft Service Pro in his face all day long and tell him this, that, and the third. But at the end of the day, and until that guy gets on the field and actually execute that stuff, it's not going to do him any good. So they, they, I don't know what the problem is. It's time to get him on the field. Um, but I, I want y'all to think about this. So we watched that game last night. And for the Vikings, the Vikings had his high points, right? You had the running game. You had the defense. The high point for the Redskins last night was the fact that Adrian Peterson got a standing ovation from the crowd. That was the high point for Washington. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. But the thought, for, for the record, I thought Adrian Peterson played a good game, 14 for 76. He looked rather spry. Uh, but, yeah, you, uh, you're absolutely right. Outside of Adrian Peterson, I mean – I guess you can. I guess you can uh, applaud the golf clap the Redskins defense to some extent for not getting blown to shreds in the red zone. That would be, and that would be another thing I'd bring up about Kirk Cousins. Yeah, those numbers look real good. Uh, 19 points though, one rushing touchdown for Dalvin Cook. What we can't we can't break through against the Redskins. I don't I don't remember them being all that formidable. Hey, they got they tough in the red zone. <laughs> yeah. Uh about that stating ovation adrian peterson moved into sixth all-time nfl rushing list last night uh despite the loss and the only nugget i had as far as stats go is uh, kirk cousins who we just talked about extensively did set the franchise completion percentage record passing brett Favre with like an 88 and a half percent whatever that uh 23 26 performance came out to be so snooze alert newts, but mm, again <laughs> no touchdowns no picks in classic kirk cousins fashion All right, guys, let's shift back to the World Series where the Washington Nationals have taken a 2-0 lead over the Houston Astros. Washington broke the game open in the seventh with six runs to continue to pour it on with three in the eighth and one in the ninth after the game was tied at two after six innings. The Astros were heavy favorites coming in, but seem seemingly just unraveled during the later innings in game two. So, Jay, we'll start with you. How did the Astros get back into the series? Uh, well, first and foremost, to keep it real simple for you, they got to play a whole lot better. Uh, how can they do that? Where does it all start? Listen, the first two games in this uh, in this World Series, the pitching matchup and the starting rotation, uh, the edges went to the Washington Nationals with uh, Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg uh, outdueling the likes of Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander. Uh, in game three, Zach Greinke is going to get the ball for the Houston Astros. They acquired him at the trading deadline from the Arizona Diamondbacks. And listen, uh, his three starts in the postseason to start, he's gotten better each time. Uh, got roughed up against the Tampa Bay Rays in the ALDS. Uh, first game against the New York Yankees, gave up three runs in six innings. And then in game four against the Yankees, uh, only gave up one run, but only pitched four and two, thir uh, four and a third, I believe. So, uh, listen, if there was ever a time to Zach Greinke to show up and be big time like he's capable of being, this is the time. Uh, Zach Greinke is going to give the Nationals a little bit of a different look. 
He's not a power pitcher anymore at this stage of his career. He relies more on finesse and uh, having command of the strike zone, using a lot of different pitches. And uh, same can be said for the Nationals game three star Annabelle Sanchez. So it's going to be a different look for both teams. Uh, uh, they're not going to be pounding the strike zone as ferociously as uh, the other four pitchers I mentioned previously. Uh, but look, Zach, uh, it all starts with Zach Greinke. He's got to pitch great tonight. They need him. They need to get some length out of him. And, uh, and what what else do the Astros have to do? Listen, the Washington Nationals. You think about what they've done this postseason. After being down 0-2 against the Los Angeles Dodgers, they won the last three against the Dodgers. They swept the Cardinals in four. And they got a 2-0 series in this league, so they've won nine straight. So they feel that uh, I got to imagine they're feeling themselves quite well. Uh, they should also be comfortable uh, being at home tonight and for the next three games, uh, should we see a game five. But the Astros, look, they're going to have the first at-bats tonight. Uh, Springer, Altuve, Brantley. Astros got to put some plant some seeds of doubts in the minds of the Washington Nationals and make them uh, remind folks why the Astros were the best team wire to wire in baseball this season with 107 victories. They got to come out there. They got to have better at bats. They got to put some pressure on the Washington Nationals. And they look, they got to do the little things better. Altuve got caught stealing in the first inning last night. Uh, they weren't as sharp as we're used to seeing in the field, particularly when you think of a guy like Alex Bregman at third base. Uh, listen, bases were loaded last night in the seventh inning. Howie Kendrick was at the plate. He smacks a ground ball uh, to the left side of the infield. Bregman's going to his left, had it in his glove, could not reel it in completely, and the inning spiraled out of control from there. So, listen, they got to do the little things. They got to run the bases well. They got to, you know, they got to make plays defensively to help Zach Greinke because he's not a strikeout guy. And to be, uh, listen, we got to remember, the Nationals have put the ball in play uh, pretty consistently despite facing the likes of Justin Berlander and Garrett, and Garrett Cole, who both struck out three, uh, 300 batters this season. And yet uh, Garrett Cole, I believe, six strikeouts in game one. Verlander six strikeouts in game two, which um, Verlander and Cole are guys who can come out there and just deal, absolutely deal, and rack up double-digit strikeouts consistently. And the Nationals have not allowed them to do that in this series. So they've given them th themselves a chance by making contact and finding some grass. And listen, that's all you can ask for against these guys. And they've done a fantastic job of doing that. And the Astros got to do can do uh, they got to do the same thing. They got to strike out a little less. They got to put the ball in play, put the pressure on the Nationals defense to make plays. And listen, the last thing they got to do is they got to stay within themselves. And what I mean by that is these guys as individuals cannot get out of character and try to win the game by themselves because that's not going to happen. They have to. And uh, one of the things I'm looking at is um, in their at bats, their at bats are going to be really key. Um, depending on how Anibal Sanchez attacks these guys, they got to wait. They got to wait for Anibal Sanchez to make mistakes early in counts. Now, if they get down to two strikes, it's something different, but be selective on the pitches they're getting. And listen, if Sanchez is nibbling a whole lot and he's not really giving them much, if necessary, take the base on balls, take the walks and pass the baton to the, to the next guy and trust your teammates who, and listen, the Astros have, they got four of their five, uh, they got four or five, they got stars on this team, Springer, Bregman, Altuve, Correa, and you can even throw, even throw Michael Brantley in there. 
Listen, these are all all-star and in some cases MVP, MVP level type guys. They got to band together. They got to play better. And I think a fast start would help tonight. Look, man, Jay just laid it out. Can't lay it out no better, you know? Couldn't say it no better myself. Unless I was Joe Bo. But here's the deal. <laughs> hey, I think tonight we're going we're gonna to come to reality. I think the Nets just going to. The Nets feeling themselves, man. They got the drip. They got the drippy drip right now. They feeling themselves. When they came into the playoffs, nobody was talking about this team, man. They only reason we was talking about this team because they made the playoffs. We weren't talking about how they was gonna take. Time out, time out. I just want to say, um, there were the, the majority of people we're not talking about, but I did tell you if there was one team that could upset the apple cart and stop the Dodgers, it would be the Nationals. Well, I've been. I, Okay, we're going to go go down memory lane. I've been said the Dodgers was a fluke, and they was going to go back and read the tape. I said they was a fluke. Anyway, here's the deal. Nobody was talking about the Nationals like I was saying, right? Nobody was talking, like, Nationals was under the radar. The most thing that people were talking about the Nationals was, yo, Bryce Harper left and got a big contract when he left. That's what they was talking about. Not how good the National was. Not how the Nationals going to come out here and put these numbers up on people. They feeling they sell. They feeling themselves, and I'm telling you right now, just what he just said about coming out here and starting fast. I'm telling you right now, if the Nationals get any chance to feel themselves again in Game Three, this series is over. And I'm the reason I think this series is over is because I think the Astros did put a lot of time, effort, and energy in that last series against the Yankees. I think that because that was the series where everybody was like, yo, this is the real world series. This is the one you got to win. You can come out here. You got to show us something in this series. And that series did, for the most part, it was living up to the hype of why people were saying that. Once they beat the Yankees, it's kind of like, uh, we got the Nationals. We got three of the best pitchers in the game. We shouldn't have, you know, we should be able to handle this. Now they're down 0-2. Their best pitcher then got beat up. Your second best pitcher then got beat up. Now you're down to your third best pitcher, and now you're hoping he don't get beat up. But just like you said earlier, his style is so different from the other two to you hope that that finesse coming in sideways type of style can get the job done. But I'm telling you, I, I just got a feeling the Nats are feeling themselves, and it is what it is. Did You know, this is what I'm feeling right here. The 04, the 2004 NBA Finals, when the Lakers played the Detroit Pistons. When the Detroit Pistons came in, everybody was like, yeah, all right. I mean, they got a couple of good dudes. Yeah. No, nobody really talked about it. And the Lakers coming in with Shaq and Kobe and Carl Malone and Gary Payton. And it was like, oh, they about to sweep these dudes. And then it kind of went the other way around. That's, how, that's the feeling I got about this World Series. We're going to find out tonight because tonight is the real deal making break. They lose tonight, the series is over for all intents and purposes. I, I understand that they got to win another game, but this series is over. You can stick a fork in it because there's no way you're going to convince me at this point. All of a sudden, you lose three games, but then you can come back and win the next four. I ain't buying that one. I ain't buying what you're selling. So I look at it. I just feel like the Nationals, they're feeling themselves, and this series is close to being over, boys, close to being over. Yeah, I'd abs I absolutely agree with you on the point that tonight, I hate, I, I think the word must win gets thrown around too liberally at times. But if, uh, 
I, I would I would venture to say this is a must win because you get behind three at all. It's two o two o right now is a is a tall task for the Astros to overcome. Uh, I'm anxious to see. Uh, I'm anxious to see if they can do it. I don't think. I think if they win this game, they're right back in it, and they'll have a chance. If they can get one, if they can get listen, if they can get two wins out of these three games, and it'll start tonight, they'll have a chance to get back to um, to their home park where they're very comfortable despite losing the opening two games. So I still got faith in the Astros. I'm rolling with them tonight. I think uh, I think the bat their bats come out of the slumber. I think they come up with some some key hits and key situations. Again, the runners in scoring position, the Nats are 7 for 21 in this series. Astros are 3 for 17. So the clutch hitting, which has been a problem throughout the playoffs for the Astros, I might add, has continued to rear its ugly head. And it's catching up with them now. And they got to get that turned. Uh, that's one of the things they got to get turned around tonight. Their starting pitching has to be better because that is what this team has hung its hat on all season. Yep. If, they, if they can do those two things, they'll give themselves a chance to win. And listen, again, series close, very close to over if they cannot get it done tonight. Yeah, the Nats seem to have that uh, Team of Destiny sort of feel. I know I've read a couple times where early on in the season they were getting rode off, even by their own riders, you know, as they weren't making the postseason to tell everybody restart. And then, you know, here they are now. And uh, you just look at the body language and the two different dugouts. You know, when they hit a home run, these dudes are going nuts. And they all these little dances they're doing. They just have that feel of this really – this team that just, you know, coalesced around each other in the face of adversity and all that stuff. You know, we see teams like that before, but you know, let's also remember the Astros did go win Game Three last um, last week against the Yankees on the road and got back into that series. And uh, they, you know, also relied on Greenkey and their bullpen to get the job done. With that kind of coming up on the horizon, they may be able to do it again. So it seems like the Astros have plenty of talent to turn it around. They just gotta, well, they just gotta do it. And like you said, they gotta establish that confidence and maybe take some of the wind out of the sails and the Nats and remind them, hey, we're here to play too. They just didn't seem like they've really done it. In the last yeah, just days. yeah, just on that note you mentioned with uh, what they did in Game Three last week against the Yankees, the series was I just want to throw it out there. The series was tied at that point one one. This is really the, this is the first time the Astros since uh, in this kind of era of what they've been able to rebuild themselves to starting in 2015. This is the first time they've been down 2-0 in a series. So this is a bit of unfamiliar territory, and again, that's one of the reasons I'm excited to see how they respond to this level of adversity because it's a different level that they're facing tonight. All right, guys, let's turn to the NBA, where two championship contenders opened their seasons. The Milwaukee Bucks defeated the Houston Rockets 117-111 to at the Toyota Center. Reigning MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo recorded a triple-double in just 28 minutes of action, while James Harden couldn't find the range from the floor, shooting just 2 of 13. Guys, both these teams have championship aspirations. So, Drink, with that in mind, can James Harden or the Greek Freak lead their respective teams to the NBA Finals? Absolutely. Um, both guys could. My problem is, and we know we know this with James Harden. First of all, James Harden has become the number one flop city when it comes to the postseason. It's between. It's, it's ironic that Houston went out and got Westbrook because Westbrook was number two flop city. So you know, not only did you get two two max uh, max contract with well, two super max contract MVPs. You also got Mr. One and Two in the voting of super flop in the postseason. Are you are you implying that uh, Houston should rename itself from Clutch City to Flop City? Um, 
They could because they got – you know they got the mascot for flopping, first of all, because you know James Harden was very known for just flopping in general. But if we're, if we're talking about um, their postseason success, absolutely. Let's be real here. Those two guys was the, been the poster boys for um, unsuccessful postseason, no matter what you put around them. Um, but with that said, do I think James Harden could get it done? I do think James Harden can get it done. At, at some point, a guy, his failure so much – they decide to do something about it. The reason I say James Harden could do something about it is because we have seen him play better defense as the years have went. He went from not playing any, and I mean any, looking like a mall cop, just standing there with his toy gun, to at least putting his body in front of players to swiping balls out of players, other players' hands. So you have to give him, it might not be the Kawhi Leonard oh. level of defense, but his defense nonetheless. Greek free. Um, we was talking about this earlier. The, the, it was a couple of things about the Greek Freak last year that, that bothered me. One was the fact that when Toronto decide, decided to make him make mid-range shots, free throws, and three points, he could not do any of those three at a consistent rate. Let me, let me be clear. At a consistent rate, he could not do any of those three. That is why Toronto ended up winning the next four games of that series and beating them 4-2 to advance to the NBA Finals because he kind of do any of that. Now, let's go to last night because last night, was, that's what we wanted to see, right? That's what two things we wanted to see last night. Did Giannis take a step forward and can Westbrook and Harden actually play together, right? That is what we wanted to see last night. We got... We got some answers in both departments. Not definitive. It's only one game. We can't go crazy over one game. But we did get some answers. Looking at Giannis. Giannis, uh, he only missed six field goals, right? He went two for five from the three-point line, so he missed three of those. He went six for six of 11 at the free-throw line. Okay, 13 rebounds, 11 assists. So I would like those numbers to be better, but I also know that was the first game of the season, so they should get better. Not totally freaking out about that. But I just like the fact that Giannis took five threes. If he would have went 0 for 5, okay, I hope you still win. But he took five threes. He made two of them. It's better than, like, Ben Simmons. I got, I got Ben Simmons' philosophy is, if they're not going to make me shoot a three, why would I take it? And okay, you know, in football, that's a good philosophy. It may, maybe it could work in basketball, too. Good, you know what I'm saying? Take what the defense gives you. But at some point, when you start playing – because – when you're playing these upper echelon teams, you're going to have to start doing that. That's what I've seen out of Giannis. Now, to go over to the, the um, Harden and Westbrook standpoint, they seem to be able to play well. That's what we seen last night. Once again, one game sample. We don't know how true that was. Could have been a rock. But last night, I would think that we would agree that they did seem to play together, um, play pretty well. And I would say this. <laughs> the team actually took, to me, the, the the persona of their two leaders, Mr. Flop 1 and Mr. Flop 2, because the whole team flopped in the fourth quarter. Now, you can't be up by as many points as Houston. At some point, Houston was up by like 20-some-odd points, and then somehow the Bucks come screaming back in the fourth quarter, and they win the game. Not to mention, oh, by the way, one of the most egregious things that I hate is when the star falls out of the game. And Giannis falls out of the game with 5:18 left in the fourth quarter, unacceptable. And you still couldn't close the deal. Now you can't tell me 
that didn't bring back memories of game six last year against Golden State. Kevin Durant is out game five. I'm sorry, game five against Golden State. Kevin Durant hurt his leg. He's out of there. All right, boys. Houston going to wrap this one up. They ain't got no KD. They're out of here. Wait, they still off? So you, you're talking that, – that's what that was shades of to me last night. Like, oh, hey, boys, Greek freak out. We're going to wrap this one. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Wait, we still got to play? We got to finish the game? Oh, shoot. All right, never mind. All right. Uh, better luck next time, boys. So that – between those two scenarios and um, just what we thought of these guys coming into the season, I do think they get their minds right. It would be hard – I would say this also. It would be harder for Harden at this point than it will for the Greek Freak. Why do I say that? Because we know Milwaukee is his team. He ain't got no turmoil. He ain't got to worry about no no outside noise from no other MVP on his team or none of that bull crap. So the microscope, the microscope on the Bucks is kind of big because he's the reigning MVP, but I think it's bigger on Houston because we're so worried about what happens between Westbrook and Harden and how that dynamic works. But hey, man, look, flop one and flop two might decide to show up. So that's my theory on that. Over to you, Jay. Yeah, back to the question. Uh, I'm going. I'm not going to put that much faith in James Harden and getting to the finals. I've seen this show too many times before. Although I would, I would say this: if these two teams uh, flipped conferences, I would give Houston more of a chance in the East where the Bucks are. And similarly, if Milwaukee was in the Western Conference, I think they would have a more difficult avenue to get to the finals by virtue of the Clippers and Lakers uh, being out West. But in the Eastern Conference, I look at the Milwaukee Bucks. I think they'll get to the finals this season. And it had and it didn't have a whole lot to do uh, with what happened last night, although they I found them to be very impressive with how with how they were able to overcome that halftime deficit. And persevere, despite the fact that you mentioned uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo fouled out uh, at the 5:18 mark of the fourth quarter. And you're absolutely right. When Houston was unable to take advantage of that, it did absolutely bring back memories of what they could not do in the Western Conference semifinals last year when KD went down in Game Five. So that was a bit disappointing. Uh, but one thing I did notice in uh, Milwaukee, I was a little concerned with how. Uh, this team would uh, move forward without, with the loss of Malcolm Brogdon in free agency. Uh, they stepped, they stepped up. I look at a guy like Wesley Matthews who came in there and uh, put in 14 points and reminded me that he's a valuable contributor in this league. Uh, he's got three point ability, can also play some defense. Uh, had uh, had his turns defending James Harden last night. I wouldn't. I don't know if he's as good as Malcolm Brogdon, but he is a capable guy, and he's been a uh, he's been a good player in this league for a long time. So uh, that kind of put my mind at ease um, with their with their starting lineup. I still think their starting lineup is very formidable. Uh, when you look at Bledsoe, you look at Middleton, and you look at Brook Lopez, and then similarly to what I described in the Los Angeles Clippers uh, the other night, the Milwaukee Bucks they got some great depth as well. When you consider they brought back George Hill. Uh, Ersan Ilyasova, this guy seems to be always in the middle of things, especially defensively when guys are flying down the lane and you just see, you know, a guy just fall down the lane and they, a referee signal offensive foul. You know it was Ilyasova. You don't even have to worry about it. They also got uh, Robin Lopez in there. So depending uh, 
primarily on the court, typically at all times. They're going to have one Lopez out there doing things, and it could be in the low post. It could be in the three-point line. Both guys pretty uh, pretty good on the defensive end, protecting the rim. So there's a lot of things to like uh, about the Milwaukee Bucks. Again, I think I like them to go to the NBA Finals. Uh, Houston, listen, Houston's a nice team. They're going to win a lot of games. I would put them about third in the Western Conference. I think they're uh, a couple steps behind the Lakers and Clippers. But come postseason time, that's that's how this team is going to be judged. It's going to be all about what they do in the postseason. And James Harden, uh, his track record is just not all impressive when you consider his level of play in the regular season. And I get it. You bring in Russell Westbrook. And I will say this about uh, Westbrook. He's added a, a bit of a new dimension to what the Rockets do because when Westbrook gets when Westbrook gets one of the many rebounds that he's going to get, he's going to fly off the floor and push it immediately. And it's going to lead to some easy opportunities um, and some in the fast break, whether it's him getting to the rim or whether it's him kicking the ball to the corner to one of those three point shooters. And if it's not there, then you can just, you know, go back to the old James Harden, high pick and roll, ISO, whatever you want to call it. So they'll still have that to lean uh, lean back on as far. And as far as these guys, as far as these guys playing together, I don't think it was all that much of a concern for me because, they do have the experience, uh, although many years ago, of playing in Oklahoma City. And if you recall, James Harden was merely a six-man back uh, back then. He was not the guy he is now. And I'm not all that – I get where you're coming from in terms of the concern of, you know, is it Harden's team, is it Westbrook's team? I don't think they, I don't think they have that problem. I think I, – I have to believe it was made clear to Westbrook that, hey, this is James Harden's team. You're going to be a clear number two on this team, and you might want to go ahead and accept it because, you know, you could have stayed in Oklahoma City and keep getting bounced in the first round year after year. So, but uh, uh, back to the question, I like the Bucks getting to the finals. Although the Rockets, I think they're talented enough, and I think they'll have an opportunity. I don't think they'll be able to get by the Clippers or the Lakers. Well, hold on. So I just want to – now, one thing I wanted to hit on is you so you think Houston is the third best team in the West. So you was give you would say Houston could beat Denver and Utah and um I had another team like San Antonio. But you so Utah and Denver anyway. You think Houston is better than Utah and Denver? So I think I think the Clippers and the Lakers are le- are uh, way ahead of all other teams out there. I get you that. that. In- in that next in that next basket, I would throw all those teams right in that in that range. And yes, right now I, I would give Houston a slight edge over all those guys. Okay. And then my, my second thing was this. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. You they I'm fairly confident that Darren Moore has went and told R- Russell, hey, look, man, check this out. This James team, you know what I'm saying? We bring you in here, we trade away some assets, we trade away the uh, big contract to get, take your contract, which is bigger. Um, so we're going to need you to play your role. However, these are two MVPs, two super max contract players that are used to being the way that they're used to. I'm sorry. If a dude been in the league 10 years, I'm just not seeing no change. LeBron, I ain't seen LeBron James change in the last 15 years. I just, I just, I don't see two guys that have that's as accomplished as these two to say 
They got Russ Westbrook out there posted up at the three-point line. Man, he like, man, miss me with this crap. I ain't out here to shoot no threes. You see what he do? He, run his, he runs right off that three-point line, go up there, grab that ball, and take over that, that offense. He, he like, miss me with this. I'm not doing this. He's like, I got what y'all want me to do. But you got to understand, this dude is a former MVP. This dude is a 200 and some odd million dollar guy as, as well. What all, what all Harden can really tell him is, is, one, he was in Houston before him. I give him that. And two, he's a better scorer. He is a better scorer than Westbrook. It's no doubt that. But Westbrook, like like you just said, Westbrook could take that rebound down and get it to the other end in two seconds. Harden can't do that. Harden going to come down there. He's going to take his time. He's going to scratch his beard. He's going to do his one leg step back. And he's going to call it a day. That's, that's what he's going to do. That's so it, I think it will be some turmoil at some point. Let the, let them start losing. Wait, wait till they go on like a, a five-game losing streak or some crap. We're going to see. We're going to see. Because you got two guys that as accomplished, as, as paid, as, the you know, where they're at in the NBA. It's going to be some turmoil, man. I'm sorry. It's, it's going to happen. So, I don't know. It's going to happen. So, yeah. So if what you're telling me is – uh, will that relationship uh, be able to stand up strong throughout the season? And will Westbrook ultimately be happy in that role? Then, yeah, I can I can see where that could become an issue. I'm just saying coming in, I would like to believe the understanding was you're going to be a number two to James Harden or at least a 1B to a 1A option. Now, how that plays out during the season and if they, to, if they hit some bumps in the road and stuff ain't going well. But I, I would just remind you in, for the, in the Houston philosophy, it's three-pointers, it's layups, and it's free throws. And I would say Westbrook, at this stage of his career, I give him about one and a half of those. Because we know he's great going to the rim, but I would say his, his shooting in general has deteriorated uh, lately, including from the free throw line. He's not as good as a free throw shooter as he used to be. And although he was three for seven from downtown last night, that's not his game. So it, 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 it to me, to me, it's James Harden's team. But I, again, I do like Westbrook in the open floor and adding another dimension. And to me, when James Harden is off the floor, I think that's when Westbrook can really shine. That uh, I would give that dynamic a little bit more time. I think a lot of times you see two stars that come together that are already well-established stars. There's going to be growing pains. There's going to be, is this your team? Is this my team? You know, remember, like, you know, for example, maybe Steph and KD, when they first came together, there was some toe stepping and, oh, who's doing what? But it looked, I mean, you you, you would think that Westbrook-Harden relationship could work. Their skill sets do seem to complement each other with, with Harden shooting, Westbrook's ability to drive and kick, those kind of things. I would give them a little bit more time, let it kind of simmer. Uh, again, they're playing another team that's a championship contender, kind of like the Lakers the other night. You know, yeah. You're playing against the Clippers. You ain't playing them every week. These guys aren't playing the Bucks every week. And uh, the only thing I got for the Bucks is, you know, like you guys said, with when Giannis followed out with five minutes left, uh, that was a six-point game. And the Bucks were able to kind of uh, come together and get that win without too much of an issue. And that's like those are the kind of little things that championship contenders do, especially when they're built around one star, uh, not having that guy and being able to just easily come out and win it anyway. It, it's those little signs of a team that's um, well-established, confident, comfortable, and can really get the job done. Yeah, you know, these guys have well, been in the playoffs. Well, I might have well-coached as well. And yeah, very well coached. So those are all the signs you look for of a team that may be talented but not ready versus a team like Milwaukee that may be talented and ready to take that next step and go, you know, compete for the finals instead of getting knocked out of the playoffs every year early. 
All right, guys, let's go ahead and turn to college football. We're less than two weeks away from the first playoff rankings, and this weekend showcases three more top 25 matchups that could have playoff implications. Wisconsin takes on Ohio State, Auburn's traveling to Baton Rouge, and Notre Dame heads to the big house to play Michigan. So, Jay, what's your biggest storyline heading into week nine? Man, I'm, I'm going to go with the Big Ten matchup on Fox and uh, Wisconsin-Ohio State. I know, I think a little bit of the luster has been removed off this game based on uh, Wisconsin flopping around last week against Illinois, losing on a last-second field goal. I would have loved to see both these teams been undefeated, potentially a top-five matchup, depending on how the rankings uh, rolled out. Uh, but nevertheless, this is still this is still a compelling football game and one of the bigger matchups uh, that we'll see in the Big Ten, perhaps the biggest um, when we consider perhaps Wisconsin meeting Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. This is something we could see again. Uh, so – but for me, the big question and the question I usually have in a Ohio State-Wisconsin matchup is there's a couple of things. Number one, can Wisconsin run the football? Because if the answer to that question is no, then I think it's going to become very apparent very early that Ohio State can out outclass the Wisconsin Badgers. They have to be able to run the football first off. They have a chance in this game because I'm not sure that Jack Cohen dropping back in third and longs is going to be a good formula for success. And number two, can Wisconsin can Wisconsin's defense match up with what Ohio State brings in year in and year out? And this year is no different with what they bring with their athletes in space on the offensive side. So and typically in years past, the answer to that has been no. Uh, Wisconsin last week, um, there was a couple of things that Illinois was able to do that uh, David Pollack for ESPN brought up. Listen, Ohio State does some similar things at Illinois. There was an RPO slant that they ran that went for a long touchdown and, and other, other different things like that. And David Pollack was making the point, look, Ohio State does the similar things that Illinois does. They just have way better players. So if you was having trouble with what Illinois was throwing at you, what you going to do against Ohio State? So that's something that just piggybacking up off my point what David Pollack is saying, I just question if Wisconsin's going to be able to match up with them on the outside. I would say, though, as far as I look at Ohio State, Wisconsin, now look at LSU and Auburn, I'm going to give Wisconsin more of a puncher's chance against Ohio State than I would uh, Auburn and LSU. I think, it's a I think it's a hugely tall order for the freshman Bo Nix to go into Death Valley and match Joe Burrow with slinging the pigskin around. I just don't see that happening. I get it. Auburn's defense, especially their defensive front, is for is formidable. It's for real. It's with Derrick Brown leading the charge up front, those guys are no joke. But uh, listen, Bo Nix, Joe Burrow, it looked like a complete mismatch, and that's why I think LSU can win that game comfortably. And I think LSU and Ohio State, when it's all said and done, they'll win those games pretty comfortably. Um, I'm. Uh, my biggest takeaway, man, is I want to see how long Auburn can hang around with LSU, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, and it's nothing in this game that made me think that Auburn's going to beat LSU. But can they hang around? Can they make it ugly? Can they make it? Can they slow the pace down? Can they make it dirt? Can they make Joe Burrow have to go through progressions one through four? Can they make him second guess himself? Can it? That's the only chance they got, first and foremost. Uh, Bo Nix, it's about to be an eat-all you can eat out there. Like, 
Would you say would you say Auburn as much as Wisconsin they need to run the ball to have a chance as well? Absolutely. Auburn what now Wisconsin need to do it more. I think Bo Nix can make more plays than the quarterback for Wisconsin. But no, you're absolutely right. You're not beating LSU without a run game. You're not beating Ohio State without a run game. The only problem is Wisconsin run game is really, really good. So you expect to see their run game. That's their identity. Yeah, that's their identity. That's their driving force. Whereas Auburn, their identity is more like trick plays, getting stuff to the edge, not really running up the middle. Bo Nix can run. That's it. That's another element. Like, I know Gus Malzahn don't want Bo Nix to run, but Bo Nix can run. And that's something I think they're really going to have to utilize, to be perfectly honest with you. Because LSU is a man-to-man team. Everybody know when you get in man-to-man, most of those linebackers have their back turned. Once they turn their back, you have a mobile quarterback. That's how that mobile quarterback pick up a lot of their yards is because they see that defender with his back turned. That's their pun- if I had to get them a punching chance, that's their punching chance. Their defense is going to, I think, situationally, is going to be good. Third and long, red zones. I think the defense is going to do what they're supposed to do. The problem is LSU don't get in a lot of third and longs, and they they darn sure don't hit the neutral button when they get in the red zone. And and that's one of the bigger problems with um, LSU as far as that goes. Yo, like I said, Auburn is what – I want to see how long Auburn can hang around with LSU. We, we we talked about the well Jay talked about the Wisconsin Ohio State and I agree with him 110 percent so I'm not even gonna go down there you struggle with Illinois what what you supposed to do with Ohio State but I would say Notre Dame Michigan all right Michigan hey I'm I'm tired of you feeling sorry for yourself ABC to hook you up with three prime time games for three weeks the nation had to look at your your blue and your maize and gold for three weeks. We've been looking at Jim Harbaugh. The seat been hot, cold, lukewarm. We don't know what the seat is now. You have nobody to blame but yourself. You're, you're blue blood. How about you act like it? You got a big time game with Notre Dame. If, you, if you're if tired of people asking you questions about where you're going next, Jim Harbaugh, win this game convincingly. I don't want to see no more 10 and 3. I don't want to see no 13 and 16. All right? I need you to put some points. You got your quarterback. You got your team. You're tired of people asking you about, hey, every time I do something, people want to say I'm going somewhere. This is bull crap. No, bull crap is you being on ABC for three weeks in a row and ain't showed us nothing. That's bull crap. You want to talk about some real bull crap. That's the real bull crap. I'm tired of you getting a primetime slot. You need to be on at noon on the Big Ten Network, not over here on ABC. But that's neither here nor there. You got your game against Notre Dame. You got it at the big house. You got to show up. All right, you have to show up. So I would I would tell the listeners, hey, watch that game. That game should be compelling because Notre Dame got holes too. The quarterback he he gets rattled. The defense is hit or miss. We'll see if Michigan capitalize on it. But yeah, hey, Michigan, make something happen with this primetime slot for the third week in a row. But that's my thoughts on on this weekend's action. This weekend's action in college football. Yeah, you you're absolutely right about Michigan. I. Coming, we look. We know about Michigan coming into the season. I was of the mindset that, you know, considering the turnover Ohio State had from coach to quarterback, I would let myself to believe that, you know, Michigan's going to have a chance to get it done. This would be the year, especially with Shea Patterson uh, last season, what he was able to do, and it, it looked like he's taken a 
somewhat of a step back this year. He doesn't look the same. That offense from time to time, they just look completely inept. And uh, quite frankly, I don't even know how they're favored. I don't know what Vegas is looking at in this game, but they're favored. They got, they're giving them one point in this game, although that's not much. Um, to me, to me, it looks like um, just Notre Dame getting another pile of disrespect. Uh, I, I, I can, I think Notre Dame is going to go in there. And as long as, um, as long as they don't get cra- rattled by the environment of being in the big house, I, I see, uh, I see Notre Dame winning this game. Current spread is even right now between the two teams as of this recording. Could change a okay. little bit for okay. tomorrow. They are well, even that, even I don't chance. even know how it's even. Give Notre Dame some points. I think they're going to win the game. Might be because they're on the road, the only thing I could think. But could uh, be, could it be. should be close there. That's the big house, you know. ABC, yeah. you know, big house. Hey, lose this hey, game the way they've been man. playing in primetime, put them on a the small 10 network. The small 10 <laughs> network, put them on. <laughs> Oh, that man, network man. that the ACC had before this year. Put them on that network. <laughs> hey, guys, two uh, nuggets I had for college football uh, outside of the big top 25 matchups. Uh, number 16, SMU, pulled out a 34-31 to win over Houston. Uh, former Texas quarterback Shane Bouchele led the way in that game and has gotten the Mustangs at 8-0 and on the season. Now, if you remember back a long time ago, the SMU Mustangs uh, received the death penalty from the NCAA after the 1986 season. They had to forfeit the entire uh, 1987 season and then lost uh, you know, dozens of scholarships and got hit essentially as hard as the NCAA is allowed to hit you. Uh, and they, since then, have been pretty much below average to terrible uh, going into that. But the uh, got back into the rankings last week or two weeks ago when they were uh, sorry three weeks ago when they were five and zero they got to ranking uh, number twenty three which is the first time they were ranked since thirty three years ago today October twenty fifth so they're tied for first in sacks their offense is clicking they're scoring forty three points a game and the next four opponents are Memphis ECU Navy and Tulane so we may see the SMU Mustangs go from the death penalty to a New Year's Six Bowl, possibly, if they can manage to stay undefeated. Uh, we've seen a lot of those undefeated teams, you know, without, without the best schedule, still manage to get into those New Year's Six games. So that is uh, kind of an interesting storyline. I, I read something say, like, I think 104 teams have been ranked between that death penalty and when SMU is ranked again. So definitely a uh, finally the turnaround that's yeah. been long overdue there. And I think, um, who, who's the head coach for SMU? Oh, Lord, I have, to, I have to. I don't actually know off the top of my head. I, hey, I, I mean, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it's SMU, so I don't think a lot of people know. But I, mm-hmm. I would say this guy should definitely be getting some consideration in Coach of the Year. I mean, honestly, anybody that brings a coach, any, any coach that brings a team from the death penalty onto, like, the national stage, yeah, put him in that Coach of the Year because that's crazy. That's, that's crazy. Uh, Sonny Dykes is his name. Hey, well, Sonny Dykes, you're doing a good job, old Sonny. Now, I couldn't tell you who you was if I seen you in Walmart, but hey, you keep doing a good job, Sonny. I feel like I, lo- I feel like I know less now now that you mentioned his name. <laughs> He's been coaching a long time, it seems like, since 1994, according to this, but uh, back and forth in the NFL and college. So, oh, yeah, but hey, that's a hell of a job to get a team like that turned around finally after a long time, you know. And uh, the other nugget I had for you guys is uh, Florida, Georgia. Uh, the game that is hosted annually in Jacksonville, Florida, neutral site has been extended through 2023 and with an option extended through 2025 uh, of a national importance because Florida and Georgia now appear to be two teams uh, led by Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart, respectively. Um, 
have been ranked the last few years, and it's going to be you know, a top 10 matchup this year. Not only that, but it also usually decides the SEC East. The last 10, 10 of the last 14 SEC East champions were either Georgia or Florida, although they've only won the whole SEC once. And that was Georgia in 2017. But still, uh, teams that figure to be contenders going forward for the next several years, uh, they're going to keep that neutral site game in Jacksonville through the next couple years. Oh, so that's what they extended, the site, not the game, right. but just the site. Okay. It's been played annually in Jacksonville for a long time. I think like since the 60s or 70s, it's been here in, in uh, Jacksonville. So they uh, every every couple of years it comes up with the contract and the city, maybe not wanting to pay for it and the money that goes to each team and all the details. But uh, it has been a neutral site game for a very long time. It's a big deal in the city and for both the teams and the money and whatnot. All right, guys, it's time to finish it off with a rapid reaction. A lot of topics and a little bit of time. We'll start with you, Drink. Oh, yeah. In the essay published in the Player Tribune, uh, Blazers 2 guard C.J. McCollum affirms his belief that the Blazers' season is championship or bust. Your response? It's going to be a bust. They're not getting past the Clippers or the Lakers. Uh, tonight in Uncasville, Connecticut, in the Bellator 231 main event, is a heavyweight grudge match between two veterans, the favorite Frank Mir versus Roy Nelson. Your thoughts? Well, I'm going to take it that uh, Roy Nelson going to take his vitamins a little more than Frank Mir, which is going to give him an extra level of energy. So from one old man to another one, I think Roy Nelson going to take care of this one. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes has been ruled out for Sunday's night game against the Patriots. I mean, against the Packers. Right decision? Yes, it is. Yeah, there's no way with the value and what he means to this team, there's no way you can take a risk of bringing him back too too soon. They gotta they gotta take great care and get making sure he's 100% healthy before they put him back in game action. Uh, early early Saturday morning, the UFC Fight Night Singapore main event. There's a welterweight fight between former welterweight number one contender Damian Maya. Versus UFC newcomer Ben Askin. Who you got? I'm going to take Ben Askin on this. Um, Damon Meyer, he's he's on the washed up side of his career. He's falling off. Um, and Ben Askin got a little more tools in his, his toolbox. So I'm going to take him on this one. Sun Center De- DeAndre Aiden has been suspended 25 games for violating the NBA anti-drug policy. Your thoughts? Man, that's a real shame. They had a chance to win 30 games this year. Tomorrow night in Reno, Nevada, a featherweight boxing match is going down between rising featherweight star Shakir Stevenson and the number two contender Joette Gonzalez for the vacant WBO featherweight title. Who wins and why? Oh, man, it's going to be Shakur Stevenson. I mean, it, it's just, hey, the dude is too good, man. He, He's just one of those guys. You can see him getting bored in the ring. He's so good. And uh, don't get me wrong, the guy he's fighting, he ain't a welcome man, you know. He ain't a stop sign, but he ain't he ain't being in the ring with a young gun like like uh, Stevenson. So he gonna go ahead and get him out of there like a, a undercooked steak. The Phillies hired former Yankee skipper Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi as their next manager. Good move. I like this. Uh, I think we covered this last week after they fired Gabe Kapler. I believe it was, uh, it was Girardi, Dusty Baker. It was one other candidate slipping my mind at the time, but I said Joe Girardi should be the choice, and I think they got the right guy. Last one, Saturday in London, the World Boxing Super Series final for the WBA IBF Junior Welterweight titles and the Muhammad Ali Trophy between WBA champion Regis Progress versus IBF champion Josh Taylor, who is leaving with their hand raised as the unified champ. Yeah, man, it's going to be Regis on this one. I like Josh Taylor, I really do, but his chin softer than two-ply Charmin. Um, I've seen him. 
he he can't he, he can't take a punch, but he can get back into the fight to win. So that's why he's the champ. I know people are like if his chin's so soft, how is he champ? Because he does enough to win, but he can't take a punch. This dude's gonna smoke him. You best believe it. He might go out on his face. All right, that concludes today's drink of wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinking. And, and remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. I'll let you into next time. Thank <laughs> you.